Hey, listeners, just a reminder that the history of everything sex is for mature audiences, so listen with discretion. And don't forget, we're ready for suggestions, ideas, stories, whatever you want to tell us. Just email us at thehistoryofsexpod at gmail.com. Thanks! Miss Terry, <laughs> hello, Miss Melinda. How Welcome to. Oh, sorry, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Want to say you're welcome? Welcome to the history of everything sex. It gets better every time. I know One your sex days, gets better every time. My sex gets better every time. <laughs> Welcome to the history of everything sex. There it is. Okay. I got a range. You do. You do indeed. You have <laughs> a range. Um. So today's episode is going to sound like it's not going to be fun, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> um, I'm excited. The topic itself is not fun, but you know, you and I can can make anything. We fun. can make anything fun. Exactly. So our subject today is actually impotence. Impotence. Also known as erectile dysfunction. ED. Yeah. So like I said, it's not that fun. But and we're talking about the history of it. So, you know, people in the past have been nuts. So, you know, it's 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 pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah. So well, bring it. Here we go. I'm excited. Well, I I'm excited, say- but somebody else isn't <laughs> excited. Apparently. Right. It's like, sure, you're excited. I can't tell because. <laughs> yeah. I think every man is uncomfortable with the thought of not being able to get it up. Mm-hmm. And we usually use the term ere- erectile dysfunction now, mm-hmm. but it's been known as impotence for many, many years. Okay. The word impotence is derived from the Latin word impotentia, which means oh. lack of power. Ooh. I know, right? Like, is yes, there any I other had no idea. Word? There's really not. Now, throughout history, impotence has been attributed to all kinds of things. And like we've seen in other episodes, scientists and doctors develop treatments aimed at the presumed cause, Uh, which, of course, makes sense. Figure out what causes it. You fix that and it gets better. Okay. so before we get into the actual history part, I just wanted to kind of share a few facts about erectile dysfunction like today like as of right now okay um so 30 million men in the united states suffer from erectile dysfunction okay risk factors include being older non-hispanic black men and it's actually pretty rare in guys that are less than 40 years old um other risk factors diseases like vascular diseases um, neurological diseases like multiple sclerosis, diabetes, kidney disease, you know, pretty ah. much any disease potentially can cause an issue, especially vascular and neurological. Right. Um, some medications, and there's a ton, anything from diuretics, blood pressure medication, antihistamines, antidepressants, Parkinson's, meds for irregular heartbeats, tranquilizers, mm-hmm. That one makes sense to me. That makes complete sense. Right. right. Muscle relaxers, obviously. Um, Hormones and um, chemotherapy. 
Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, other risk factors, psychological or emotional issues, being overweight and smoking. So those are some of the risk factors. Hmm. And, you know, having erectile dysfunction, which this kind of seems like a no brainer, but um, can lead to depression, anxiety, yeah. low self-esteem, inability to produce a pregnancy, problems with your relationship and unfulfilled sex life. Again, I just feel like that's all pretty obvious. Right. Goes without saying kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But then again, if you think if it's more of a way of thinking like, you know, anybody can be like, oh, man, that would suck. But then you're like, yeah, but think about it. Like if you're like in a relationship where you want to have a baby and you have erectile dysfunction, like you can't, you know what I mean? So, right, right. You know, put kind of just putting it in perspective, I guess, because there's sometimes things seem obvious once you say them, mm-hmm. but until they're said out loud, it just never really crosses your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the American Cancer Society, it is estimated that 268,490 new cases of prostate cancer will be diagnosed in the year 2022 mm-hmm. and one in eight men in their lifetime will have prostate cancer. That's a that's, lot. That's a lot. That's a bigger percentage than I thought. Yes. Yeah, same. Is exactly. that the right word? Percentage? Yeah. One in, a bigger. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fraction. Yeah. I it's don't a, know. <laughs> a lot more people than you thought. Right. It is. So, and the reason I bring that up is because after prostate cancer treatment, most men have erectile dysfunction, at least for a few months. Now, if they have to have surgery, so if they have what's called nerve sparing prostatectomy, so they have their prostate removed, but it's a nerve sparing type of surgery, 40 to 50% of those guys, they will initially have erectile dysfunction, but the function will return within a year and that number goes up to 60% by two years. So still not okay. the greatest odds, you know, six right. out of 10 by two years, but you know, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, after radiation treatment, uh, they say 25 to 50% will have erectile dysfunction um, and few of those will ever get better. So it's kind of like if you're the one fourth to one half who after the radiation is complete, you have uh, erectile dysfunction pretty much it's you're always going to have it it's not something that you can like you know assume is going to get better later because it's not. okay um and then for the other like 50 percent of people who don't have it initially it could potentially happen over two to three years after the radiation mm. so it's still kind of like looming in the distance possibly for you mm-hmm. um, now after a radical prostatectomy So like they don't do the nerve sparing part. They just remove the prostate. Mm -hmm. This, some of these numbers are so crazy. And this was like actually a really good study. Um, 29 to 75% of men who have that surgery will have erectile dysfunction permanently. Wow. Right. Now that's a big range. I know exactly. I saw at one study I saw said 14% to 90%. I'm like, so that's either none or all. I'm <laughs> right. really, it's none or all. Now I did see another um, specific study that looked like it was a really good study. This one said that after the prostate is removed, 
at six months post-surgery, 68% of those patients cannot have an erection. Like they, they're not able to get an erection period. Mm -hmm. 80%, which includes that 68%. So Mm -hmm. eight out of 10 do not have erections that are firm enough to have sex. Um, Some of these, that number goes down a little bit by 12 months, but still it's a definitely the majority of people who have their prostate removed will not be able to have an erection. Right. Um, Without treatment, let's say without Mm -hmm. treatment. So, um, all right. Now, incredibly in an article that was written just one year ago in October of 2021, Kenyan doctor, Dr. Oser tells of a married couple who recently had come to him for help with the husband's sudden inability to get an erection, which the couple blamed on a curse. Ooh. Yes. Apparently, the husband had angered a co-worker a few weeks before that and assumed that a curse had been placed on him. Okay. Because, Because the ED occurred suddenly, the diagnosis was acute erectile dysfunction as opposed to chronic ED, which develops slowly over time. Mm-hmm. In this case, Dr. Oser was able to convince the couple that the inability to get an erection was not due to witchcraft, but was related to the husband's worry about not pleasing his wife. Okay. After a few sessions with a sex therapist, the man's issue was healed. So to mm. be fair, it is still best practice to find the cause of a health problem in order to treat it correctly and hopefully resolve the condition. <laughs> All right. So let's look at the history of theories on impotence and the interesting treatments that have been used over the years. Now, ironically, the earliest prescribed treatments for impotence that we know of are actually very similar to what we use today. Um, the ancient Chinese, they used acupuncture along with a concoction made with berberin, which is a relaxer that allows blood flow into the penis. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to the active ingredient in Viagra. Huh. They also used icarin, which is an herb that preserves nitric oxide, which we now know is very important in testosterone production. And it's been found to help with erectile dysfunction in rats. Oh, well, we want to make sure the rats can get a boner. I know. Who knew the rats could even have ED? That's wild. Right. right. I mean. Um, Now, on a different note entirely, according to the ancient Egyptians. So this way back ancient. Mm -hmm. According to the ancient Egyptians, men who suffered from impotence had been cursed. We're back to the cursed thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, To break the spell and be able to once again get an erection, men were told to crush the hearts of baby crocodiles and using a lotus flower, rub the stuff on their junk. So they need to crush the hearts of baby crocodiles. Yes. So first, (laughs) you got to get some baby crocodiles. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How easy were those to get? I don't know. I hope they're native to Egypt. That is pretty crazy. Ancient Greek doctors knew which herbs and plants 
could be placed or rubbed on the penis to give it strength, which sounds a whole lot more hygienic than a damn baby alligator heart. Right. Also, carrying or wearing the genitals of roosters or goats was thought to improve erectile function. And just as a side note, Greek physician Hippocrates, you may have heard of him. Yes, a little bit. Yes, he attributed impotence to riding horses, which is funny because that comes up again later about riding horses. Riding Um, horses? Yeah, that apparently that caused impotence. Yeah, oh, I don't know if he okay. Thought it was the trauma of it, or like yeah, you're sitting that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if you're riding on your balls and you're getting yeah. snatched, snatched, snatched. Yeah, sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, Friar Albertus Magnus in the 1200s recommended ingesting roasted wolf penis. No recipe here. <laughs> it just has to be roasted i guess open over an open fire maybe or something i don't know um romans assumed that a lack of libido could be overcome by eating the genitals of rabbits or by drinking the semen of hawks and eagles here's the thing <laughs> i just people want to get a boner so bad they're going into the jungle to like whack off a bunch of animals and just or or slaughter them and wear their genitals around their neck because I, I need a boner that bad. Right. Yeah. And you know what? That's funny you say that because yeah, like do you get it by like killing it and taking it semen or literally you're like getting it so aroused that it nuts and then you take the semen. Right. I don't know. I guess it depends on if you're a good hunter or that's you crazy. Know, if you if you love animals or well love is a strong word right 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 yeah now i will say that for our listeners who remember our episode on aphrodisiacs mm-hmm. some of what i'm saying may sound a little familiar which really makes sense right because like we're talking about ways to get a man aroused so aphrodisiacs and erectile dysfunction treatments uh mm-hmm. you know they're, they kind of go hand in hand they're going to cross paths to some degree so mm-hmm. you know it, it it, it is a little, you know, some of these are kind of the same. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we're moving on to the Middle Ages, like the 1300s through the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Um, wives were, weren't generally allowed to divorce their husbands. That is, unless they had a very good reason, like on the grounds of impotence. Impotence. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But of course, the court could not just take the word of some female lord forbid you actually just believe the word of a woman so they needed proof Mm -hmm. enter the investigators (laughs) women who may be widows or sex workers friends or neighbors and these experts would get to the meat of the issue either visually or through attempts to arouse the man in question So let me read this little excerpt of an article about just such a court case that occurred in the year 1370. Mm -hmm. This is a direct quote from the court records. Tadia Lambert filed for divorce from John Saunderson, claiming that her husband was impotent. Next, she had to prove it. Fortunately for Tadia, she had eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. One key witness. Thomas, son of Stephen, 
testified in church court that he had seen the couple unsuccessfully attempting to have sex in John's father's barn before nine o'clock one springtime morning. In spite of the fact that John and Teddy were applying themselves with zeal to the work of carnal intercourse, Thomas reported that he saw John's rod was lowered and in no way rising or becoming erect. (laughs) Furthermore, Thomas claimed that John's brother also witnessed the failed sexual encounter, adding that the brother stroked John's penis with his hand in order to see if he could help. So to summarize, John Saunderson not only tried and failed to have early morning barn sex with his wife before an audience of two men, but also received ineffective manual penis stimulation from his brother. Thanks to Thomas's devastating testimony, Tedia won her case. So you can get divorced <laughs> because these two guys saw your husband not be able to get hard and even tried to help him. Yes. Get hard and couldn't. Yes. You know what? I got to say, I'm a little surprised that the women aren't to blame. Right. Um. Yeah, it's just the uh, back then it it seemed like everything dealt with what women were doing wrong or what they can't do or what they exactly, you know, so right. it just kind of surprises me. It's right. like, it's almost like they're like, you are all inferior, but yeah, we want you to be able to get dick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there, And you know, it, it didn't have anything to do with wanting women to be pleasured. It had to do with, you have to reproduce. You have to reproduce. So right. if your man you can't get it up, right. yes, then you need to move along to a different man because that's right. We need to reproduce all the time. We need to reproduce. We're rabbits. Now, now there's another back to the court cases. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes the honest investigators disproved the wife. So here's another excerpt from an article about a real court case. And this one is, you know, obviously going to be more Mm -hmm. of an opposite outcome. So when Catherine Barlay filed to annul her marriage to William Barton, Due to impotence in 1433, more than a dozen people gave testimonies about William's penis after examining it on numerous occasions. This sounds horrifying to me. Right. After three men and several women inspected William at a tavern called the Swan. This is in court Mm -hmm. records. They even know the damn name of the bar they were at. One Robert Lincoln testified that William placed his manly rod in his hand. Lincoln described it as long and large enough to have carnal coupling with any woman alive. On another evening, three men examined William's secret manly members. Don't call uh-huh. them secret manly members. Right. That Why can't like they just say penis? In your pants? Uh, so, uh, they examined his secret manly members at a friend's house. Um, and they also gave his penis rave reviews, often <laughs> comparing it to their own. One testified that he himself had fathered 10 children and that Williams was better in length and girth than my rod ever was. Another reported that William Barton had large and fit testicles and other signs of virility, just as I myself ever had or better. Getting into more specific measurements, 
two witnesses testified that Barton's penis was two handfuls long when erect. Measuring the penis length by the handful was not uncommon during this time. And there's even one poem which features a man who boasts that his penis is a handful and a half in length. So in this case, she did not win. Right, because so many people had seen his hard wiener. Yeah. Then obviously. Yeah. So she was lying. She was just trying to get away from him for some other reason, which who knows? Maybe she had a good reason. But um, in 1487, a guy by the name Heinrich Kramer suggested in his book that, quote, any man who has impotence needs to track down the woman, i.e. witch, that had cursed their penises, then just ask them to restore their fertility. All right. See, I knew it was some woman's fault. Yeah. Yeah. We just cursed them. So if you just come groveling back, <laughs> yeah, come back and ask me because I'm going to be like, no, motherfucker. Right. <laughs> no. The answer is no. You know, if you limp dick for a reason. Right. I did it for a reason. I'm not just going to uncurse you now. Right. In the late 1600s, Dr. William Hammond decided that those men who could not get an erection, they just needed a charge. Literally, he came up with the idea of sending electric currents through the spine, testicles, and penis, which even the doctor himself said was not a very pleasant situation. A few years later, a new type of shock therapy came about. This time administered either through a bathtub filled with electrodes or electric rods inserted into the penis. Neither of those sound like a good idea to me. No. You know, you don't, don't put a toaster in the bathtub. So why are you putting electric right. rods in the bathtub? That's I, dying. I don't know. I don't know either. So, I mean, I guess one way or the other, it just takes care of your problem. But right, right, right. <laughs> uh, in the 1700s, we're getting much closer to now. Yeah. In the 1700s, <laughs> scientists attributed the inability to get hard on weak muscle fibers. So they re- the recommended treatments included a warm bath and an enema. That'll, <laughs> that'll do you. Um, riding a horse for a few hours. So now all of a sudden, this is the cure for impotence okay. is riding a horse. Um, breathing some fresh country air. Uh, purging yourself every two weeks. Drink a glass of burgundy wine or get some sleep. Huh. Sounds Just pretty simple. Right. Yeah. Drink a little take wine. Get some fresh air. Mm-hmm. Take a nap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your, your wiener will be back exactly. to normal. Boom. You're fixed. Um, so I'm glad I didn't live in the 1700s because if that's the only treatment that y'all are prescribing, I'm thinking that I'm probably not going to have a very good time. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Now, Later, during the Victorian era, i.e. the 1800s, it was believed by the smartest of men that impotence was either due to a man's moral weakness or it was caused by not having any more sperm or semen. As one may expect then, it was really a bad idea to masturbate since you only have so much cum in a lifetime. (laughs) Dr. Samuel Gross wrote... Quote, masturbation, gonorrhea, sexual excesses, and constant excitement of the genital organs without gratification, blue balls, 
<laughs> would lead to impotence. Doctor, A different doctor, Dr. Samuel Solomon, invented a topical medication made of cardamom, brandy, and the same blister beetles used in Spanish fly. Oh, okay. Now, now if you know you how re- many times we've talked about Spanish I know, fly. I know. I know. And I was going to say, yeah. if you recall, Spanish fly was once thought to be an aphrodisiac, but actually it causes skin to blister when it comes in contact with the substance. Ooh, okay. So Dr. Solomon's concoction was rubbed on a man's genitals in a cold water bath with the intention of discouraging masturbation. Jeez. Clearly. Clearly, you're not trying to masturbate if this thing makes you raw, blistered, not feeling so good. So I'm right. sure that it worked. It was probably 100% effective. Yeah, at- exactly. It was also during the 19th century that French neurologist Brown Sicard, learning of this new thing called testosterone, mm-hmm. decided to take the material from dogs and guinea pigs' testicles guinea pig's testicles guinea pigs how are you okay how are you finding the guinea pig how are you finding the guinea pig's testicle yeah so that poor guinea pig i know right he injected the material from these testicles into his own testicles and soon after that russian physician voronoff tried transplanting parts of the testicles of apes into men with impotence huh Neither of these therapies worked. Not surprised. Right. Shocking. All right. First developed, this is where I think it gets so interesting. Mm -hmm. First developed in the early 1800s by Vincent Marie Manda, the vacuum Mm -hmm. penis pump is still used today. Now, if you have never seen one, here's how this gadget works. Okay. So first, let me explain that it's a pretty big piece of equipment. It's usually two or three pieces of plastic. So picture a clear cylinder, almost big enough to fit a soda can inside of it, Mm -hmm. with a domed ended cylinder attached to it. So I know that's kind of hard. I'm I'm not very good at, you know, drawing it out for you in your mind. But if you can picture that at all. Mm -hmm. So the penis goes inside the clear cylinder with the device held tight to the body to make an airtight seal. Then you use your other hand to pump the attached domed piece in and out, you know, almost Mm -hmm. like you're jerking off. Right. And this forces the air inside the vacuum to be sucked out of the tube, which causes negative pressure in the penis, which causes blood flow into the penis, which causes an erection. Um, Mm. Now, there are also ones that have a clear cylinder attached to a closed vacuum on one end, and these are battery powered and can be started and stopped with the push of a button. Mm. So you don't have to do the whole jacking off thing. You just push the button, Mm -hmm. hold on to it for, you know, until you're done and then let go. The end of the pump that covers the penis should be coated in lube before you use it. Also, there's a tension ring. It kind of looks like a cock ring, but it's it's real tiny mm-hmm. um, that goes over the base of the penis before you start the pump. And this allows the penis to stay erect after the pump is removed. Mm-hmm. 
So does that make sense how that works? Like, it does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't, I, yeah. I, I thought so once I saw it, but obviously, uh-huh. you know, when people are listening to the podcast, they can't see it. So I right, tried, right, to, right. tried to do that, tried to explain that well. All right. At the turn of the century in the early 1900s, a new doctor came onto the scene with his own method of treating ED. A little backstory here. This guy's pretty interesting. So Dr. Richard Brinkley, <laughs> Dick Brinkley, <laughs> was born in 1885 in North Carolina. He was an only child and his parents were both deceased by the time he was 10. He was raised by an aunt and had a relatively chaotic upbringing. And he ended up at the Eclectic Medical College. I don't know why it's called the Mm -hmm. Eclectic Medical College in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, He started there, but he never completed the program. This, however, did not stop him from becoming a doctor or at least taking on the title and practicing as one. Mm -hmm. He first practiced in Arkansas. But then he went back to Kansas. He opened his own 16-room clinic there in 1916. Mm -hmm. The town's people loved him. He paid his staff very well, and he treated his patients even better, even making house calls during the flu epidemic in 1918. Hmm. So he was was the homecoming king. He was Mm -hmm. very popular. Now, Dick eventually started transplanting goat testicles into his older male clients to treat their impotence. Mm -hmm. Around the same time, he also opened, strangely, I don't know how these two things are connected, Mm -hmm. he also opened the first ever radio station in Kansas. By day, you're putting goat testicles in old men. By night, you're a radio DJ. No idea. Now, he used his radio station to advertise his service, and before long, he was very busy and there were a lot less goats around with balls (laughs) men started coming from all over the country to pay the he was called the goat gland doctor oh my god yes to pay him 750 dollars which is nine thousand dollars in today's money Mm -hmm. to have their testes replaced with those of goats brinkley was performing about 50 procedures a week and soon He was advertising the procedures as a treatment for all kinds of health problems. Mm -hmm. He was also hosting a radio show where he was diagnosing people's ailments and recommending treatments. Now, all of this was getting a lot of attention from the medical community who were very skeptical of his techniques and of the man himself from the very beginning. Nevertheless, Brinkley was doing great. He opened several clinics and hospitals across a few states, and he raked in the dough for years. Then around 1930, the Kansas Medical Board was debating about taking his medical license away after 42 men had died from post-op infection after undergoing his goat testicle procedure thingy. Mm -hmm. And the radio police were about to shut down his radio gig saying that he was broadcasting obscene material and was more or less a quack. (laughs) So what did Brinkley do? He did what every other man in this situation would do. He threw himself into politics for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he almost became the governor. Oh, wow. But he didn't. Yes, 
Then in 1938, he sued the editor of a medical journal for libel, asking for a settlement of $250,000, which is the equivalent of $4.2 million today. Wow. But this backfired badly when during the trial, it came out that he had simply bought his medical license from a diploma mill. (laughs) Following this, he was sued for malpractice, charged with mail fraud by the U.S. government, and eventually he declared bankruptcy and he ended up dying very poor. Mm. So the lesson is, kids, it might be fun for a little while, but you're going right. to getting busted and you're going to die poor. Now back to the doctors and medical researchers who actually had an education. Mm-hmm. Nicola Bogoraz, known as the father of penile implants, developed the first implantable device to keep a penis erect in 1936. Bogoraz used the patient's rib cartilage to make the rod-like structure which was initially successful until after a few years, the material would be reabsorbed into the man's body. Mm -hmm. The cartilage tended to, over time, curve in on itself, leading to a curved, unusable penis. Jeez. So that was a failure. That was a swing. Right. Mm -hmm. In 1952, doctors Scott and Goodwin started making the implants out of acrylic so that it would not be reabsorbed. Unfortunately, the acrylic would break down and cause all kinds of problems in the penis. Plus the patients were getting some really gnarly infections. Mm -hmm. In 1964, implants were upgraded to silicone and placed in a different part of the penis. But just like its predecessor, the implants started to break down and cause issues. Three strikes, you're out, is what I'm saying. Right, right. In 1967, a new silicone rod was used. This one was placed in a deeper, more dense structure inside the penis, and this seemed to be the best it was going to get. Now, to give you an idea of how this worked, picture a goosenecked lamp or like a bendy straw, Mm -hmm. and this is pretty much how the rod worked. It is surgically placed, and then the man could just manually bend it up or down, depending on how he needed it to be. Okay. So if he's not using it, he can point it down his leg. Point it down his leg a little bit. We're not tying it. I was thinking, you know, pretzels, but I understand that that's probably not the the most uh, effective way to store your penis. But (laughs) All right. Now, meanwhile, in the 1940s, Dr. Lowenstein wrote an article explaining how and why his coitus training apparatus works. The doctor explained that treatment of impotence should be aimed at the psychological trauma or problem that's causing the issue. Hmm. Once the psychological therapy is almost done, Dr. L recommends using his apparatus to help the guy get and keep an erection so that he's not embarrassed which would set his therapy back, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He even explains that the contraption is really useless by itself. It's more of a confidence booster. It kind of reminded me of like when parents are teaching their kids to ride their bike and they just barely hold onto the seat. And so the kid feels like 
they're safe because their parents holding right, on right, to right. it, but yeah. really you let go and the kid doesn't even know it. Right. Now this thing's really different. This is made of a very light metal and it's two rings. One goes at the base of the penis. One goes around the base of the head. Then there are two rods that connect the two rings. And these splints, as they're called, sit on the underside of the penis to support the unit. Mm -hmm. Um, The ring at the base of the penis is held by elastics so that it can adjust as needed. You know, as it gets bigger, the ring gets bigger. So it's not cutting off your circulation. According to the doctor, this is so inconspicuous that a man's partner probably won't even notice it. I beg to differ. <laughs> that that does not sound something that sound like something you just sneak in. I think that if you don't notice it, you probably should have noticed it. Right. <laughs> if you don't uh, notice it, that's a lie. <laughs> exactly. Now, once the man's confidence returns, he'll no longer need the training wheels. I mean, uh, training apparatus. <laughs> really just training wheels yeah all right then in 1973 dr scott and his team developed the implanted penile pump okay so now we're getting there we're getting we're getting closer to the things that sound familiar exactly so let me tell you about this little contraption so here an inflatable silicone rod was surgically placed inside the penis This is attached to a sack of saline fluid in the Mm -hmm. abdomen and a little device inside the scrotum. Hmm. When the guy wants to have an erection, he just squeezes that little device in the scrotum over and over like pinchy, pinchy, pinchy. Mm. Um, And that pumps the saline solution from the abdomen through a tube into the penis until it fills and makes the penis rigid. Mm-hmm. Then when sexy time's over, he just fidgets with that little thing in his scrotum somehow, and the fluid leaves and returns to that little reservoir that's in the abdomen until mm-hmm. next time. Now, unfortunately, because of course there's an unfortunately here, mm-hmm. un- unfortunately, silicone does not withstand a whole lot of inflating and deflating. So it's it started getting worn out after a little while. In 1974, doctors Small and Carrion developed a two-rod implant made of spongy silicone, which could be bent upward to make the penis erect and downward when not needed. Okay. And but their names were Small and Carrion. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So this was the Small carry-on. The small carry-on. That's hilarious. Absolutely. Now, this was okay, but it didn't like to stay down. So oh, okay. some guys were just walking around with perpetual erections all the time. Mm-hmm. Also, in 1974, a Dr. Finney developed the Flexi Rod, an implant with softer silicone in it. And this one had a hinge to keep the penis down when an erection was not wanted. Okay. Sounds horrible. All of the penile implants have had flaws. Some of them pretty undesirable, obviously. Mm-hmm. Some of the pumps leaked or would get a weak spot in the rod part. So like a bubble of fluid would protrude out somewhere along the shaft to make the penis all asymmetrical and weird looking. Mm-hmm. Also, 
<laughs> with the fluid sitting in a bag in the abdomen. Um, sometimes the implant would accidentally be inflated when the man sneezed or coughed. Hmm. Yeah, he had a little coughing fit. Boom, erection. Right. Boom, there it is. Uh, one risk, the often fatal infection that sometimes occurred with penile implants was mm-hmm. significantly reduced in 2002 when both AMS and Coloplast, which were developers, um, developed antibiotic-coated implants. And this was a game changer. Like, this okay. made a huge difference. So that made it even better. Mm-hmm. Now, two other methods of treating impotence have also been developed and used. First, there are injections of medications directly into the penis. Mm. Now I would like to introduce you to a very interesting scientist by the name of Dr. Giles Brindley. Mm -hmm. Dr. Brindley was a professor of physiology in England. He was brilliant in many areas, including erectile dysfunction. In 1983, Dr. Brindley shared his latest research findings at a urology conference in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. See, the doctor had discovered that some impotence was actually caused by physical conditions, not just mental or psychological problems like it had been thought up until then. Mm-hmm. Dr. Binley even figured out that the inability to get an erection had to do with the penis not filling up with blood. This is 1983, by the way. Mm-hmm. So after some experimenting, Dr. Binley found that By injecting a muscle relaxer into the penis, you could relax the smooth muscle. And then this would allow the blood vessels to dilate and fill with blood and the penis would get hard. Okay. Now, in 1983, Dr. Bentley was 57. And when he presented his findings to the 80 urologists in the audience at the conference, he did so by showing a slide presentation starring himself and his penis. Hmm. He showed and explained how the how injecting papaverine, go with that, mm-hmm. into his into his junk resulted in a big studly erection. Studly. Studly. Studly dudley here. Yeah, I was just about to say that. <laughs> now unsure if they were really getting the enormity of the results, Dr. Binley dropped his pants so that they could see it in the flesh. Mm. Still not convinced, he walked off the stage and up to the nearest audience members. Mm -hmm. Several of them were women with his erect wang within spitting distance. Spitting distance. Yeah. So he did come up with a brilliant idea, development, creation. He is remembered for this particular conference. So mm-hmm. uh, secondly, there are oral drugs. We all know this, like Viagra and Cialis. Uh, Viagra was originally used to treat heart problems because it relaxes the muscles that cause blood vessels to constrict. It just so happened that the men using the heart medication suddenly seemed to have more hard-ons. This led to questions and eventually answers And in 1998, Pfizer put Viagra on the market. Now, Viagra is taken about 30 minutes before sex, and it works for four to six hours. 
You may have also heard of Cialis. This medication works similarly. However, it is effective for up to 36 hours. And just for the record, these medications do not cause an erection. Instead, they allow a man to become hard when sexually aroused. Okay. So both have side effects, of course. So not every guy can take these medications. But for many, many guys and couples, these drugs are absolutely priceless. Right, right. So um, I have to do my little PSA first, and then I got some funnies for you. Okay. So first, I just got to real quick tell you, if you're female, you can share this information with someone in your life that you love who has a penis and a prostate. You can't truly prevent getting prostate cancer, but you can reduce some of the risk factors. So um, it's recommended that men stay at a healthy weight, Mm -hmm. that they um, have plenty of physical activity, that they eat healthy, that they limit their calcium intake. Somehow, if you take in a lot of calcium, it puts you at a higher risk for prostate cancer. There is some research that's showing that taking vitamin E and selenium, which is another supplement, um, and increasing your intake of soy proteins can decrease your chances of getting prostate cancer. As far as screening goes, typically a doctor would do a blood test. They would look for something called PSA. And if that results really high, then they know that they need to, you know, do more testing. So it's, it doesn't necessarily mean you do have the cancer, mm-hmm. but if it's high, then they know that they need to do more testing. If it's gotcha. normal or low, you're good to go. Uh, they also may do that digital rectal exam. Mm. So they put their little lubricated finger, hopefully with a glove on. Hopefully. Right. In the butthole and they mm-hmm. feel the prostate to make sure there's no bumps that could be tumors. Okay. Okay. So to finish off the episode, I stumbled across some most interesting tidbits while researching that I thought you might enjoy. Of course. So first, we have an impotence spell that was posted on Tumblr. So it's got to be real. Hold on. I'm going to write it down. Please. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And it was written um, by a user by the name of of Wood and Bone. I I don't know a lot about Tumblr. Okay. 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 So it's probably. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, get out of here. Right. So here's what it says. Okay. Um, It it starts this way. A great one to use against sex offenders, ex-boyfriends, and fuckboys. Okay. I would agree. I would agree. Mm -hmm. Take one daffodil or a lily. And with your sharpest blade, one that you don't use for cooking. Okay. Cut the spike from the flower. And with this expel the sex drive from the target so this is symbolic okay okay so as you're doing it you're probably thinking to yourself this is so-and-so's dingle yes yes this is your sex drive then snap it into crack Mm -hmm. this is symbolic of breaking his sex now with a mortar and pestle which we okay. all have in our in our you know, uh, in our repertoire. Around. Mm-hmm. Keep one in every room. Exactly. Grind the snapped spike with three pinches of salt. 
Okay. I knew there had to be salt involved. There's exactly. salt involved. It's so salty. Mm-hmm. Write, the, <laughs> write the target's name over and over on a cloth. Like it says, lose yourself in doing this. Okay. All the way. Mm-hmm. And then pour the powder onto it. Okay. Bind the cloth with black thread and keep it in a dark space. Oh, okay. We're not burning it. Nope. We're just keeping it all together, binding it. Tying keep it, it with, in a dark space. Tying it with some string, mm-hmm. black string. Black thread. thread and just putting it, in a, it like kind of yeah. like a, you know, like you're letting some bread rise. Exactly. Yeah. It yeah. So forget it's there. Exactly. What you're saying. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of nice that you're not burning it because maybe that means that if you change your mind, you can like undo it or something. Right. You know? Right. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't plan on trying it, but now everybody knows and you know if anybody has any success with that you can shoot us an email let us know how it goes right exactly um i have two poems this is the end now these are two poems from the greek anthology the first one is called automedon automedon here's the poem send call for her everything is ready for you but when she arrives what will you do Give that some thought, Altemadron, for this, which was tireless before, is now squishier than a boiled carrot, and it has retreated back between your thighs. They will laugh at you a lot when you set out unarmed, trying to steer your ship without an oar. Gee whiz. There goes my self-esteem. Right. (laughs) Jeez. Salt on the wound, why don't you? And then... This other one, also from the Greek anthology. This is nice, short and simple. The hair is already gray on my temples, and my dick hangs slack between my thighs. My balls are useless. Age overcomes me hard. Alas, I know how to fuck, but I can't. This is from a long, long time ago. Alas, <laughs> alas! I, I know how get... to fuck, but I can't. Yeah, I didn't get that from the back of the Cosmo magazine. This is right Greek anthology shit. <laughs> it always so... cracks me up when I think of people back in olden days saying "fuck." Right, exactly. It I just always think it's blows funny. my mind. Right, right. I know how to fuck, but I cannot. <laughs> right. Yeah. How hath doth with fuck? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, on one hand, I don't want to make fun of ED. Obviously, it's right, a very right, serious right, problem. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I I absolutely, my heart goes out to men or anyone with a mm-hmm. penis who has the issue. It goes out to their companions who right. have to then figure something out. And right. It well, has and to be think, horrible. You know, you know, vagina having people. If we lose our sex drive, mm-hmm. we can still have sex exactly. as long as it's not painful. You sure. know, obviously, obviously, if it's not painful, mm-hmm. you can still have mm-hmm. sex. Right. And you can use things to make it at least bearable. Correct. You know, for you mm-hmm. and so that you can procreate mm-hmm. or, or just, you know, please your partner. Right. 
we don't require, you know, standing at attention. Exactly. Not to make light of the fact of, like you already mentioned, like, you know, there are women who like literally cannot have sex because mm-hmm. either it's painful or they, right, there right, is right. something anatomically, you know, going on yeah. that keeps them from being able to do that. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Like we as women could still go about the act of sex, even right. if it's maybe not enjoyable, you know, right. or just kind of like, sure, just go ahead kind and of like, get it over with, you know. Yeah. Right. Obviously, there's vibrators, dildos, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're talking about procreating, you know, know, or just doing something that feels good. Exactly. Intimacy. So so it does suck. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, men have been trying to, you know, none of those doctors were women that were really devoting their whole life to. Uh-huh. Uh, curing ED, which is kind of odd because you would think, as, you would much think a, right. as much as a man would want to improve it, you would think women would also have a little stock in the game and, you know, mm-hmm. they want to they want to fix it, too. Right. Well, thank but, you for that. That was very interesting. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't at all surprise me that it's something that has been a problem for all of time. Right. Um the going about fixing it (laughs) some of those things you know i got to just have some crocodile or alligator nuts well that's laying around crocodile hearts crocodile hearts yes or some nuts or eagle semen eagle semen right wolf penis wolf penis yeah yeah it's really convenient that the part of the world that you live in you just happen to need the animal that that's there is nearby. Right. Very helpful. Very yeah. helpful. So goodness. That's what I got for you this well, time. Thank you for that. Absolutely. That I hope it was entertaining and it a little educational. It was educational. Yes. I've always heard about these pe- penis pumps and I can honestly tell you, I really never exactly knew what that was all about. So, or, or penile implants and right, right, so, right. So it was, it was really fun to kind of look into that a little bit. So now I know. <laughs> very, very, very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Absolutely. I hope everybody else learned some things too. I hope so. Use yeah. it while you got it. Exactly. All right. Anything else? Nope. Thank you All for right. that. And have a great week, everybody. Yep. See you in seven more days. Later, Tater. Later.